السلام عليكم ورحمة الله. نعم على رسوله الكريم أما بعد. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Taala. We seek blessings on the Prophet peace be upon him. So as, as Sister Banan mentioned, my, my assignment is to speak about being unapologetically Muslim, especially in this time and place. And those of you who are not familiar with my teaching style, a major portion of our, of our conversation is actually going to be conversation. Uh, and we're going to begin right now with a question. Uh, what does it mean to be American? Think about this question. But before answering, how many of you would say you're American? Raise your hand. How many of you would say you're Western? Interesting. Not as many people. You're American, you're not Western. Okay, so someone tell us, even one piece, what does it mean to be American? Anyone? Who's going to break the ice? To be free. To be free. Okay. Okay. What else? What else does it mean to be American? To be in U.S. soil. I'm sorry? To be in U.S. soil. Okay, so to be in U.S. soil, meaning dead and buried. This is what you mean? Or, I mean, you're living in the continental United States. Right. Okay. What else? What else does it mean to be American? To uh, spend your days in a diverse day-to-day -day area, seeing multiple cultures and faiths interact rather than one sort of blanket nationality. Or, uh... Okay. So the American nationality is to be a mixture of a whole bunch of different nationalities, kind of like Hudge, basically. When you're, when you're in Chicago, you're performing Hudge. This is what you're saying, right? <laughs> no. Okay. What else? What else does it mean to be American? Okay, so democracy is, is very much part of the American mythology. What else? Okay, so there's a focus on justice uh, in terms of what does it mean to be American. We focus very much on justice. We'll say justice is blind. Yes? To have the right paperwork. What does this mean? Okay, so to have citizenship, you have the papers that you need, or you have citizenship, which means by definition, officially, you're an American. So now you have an American passport, the card. Okay, someone over here was also raising a hand. Yes? Being born here means you're an American. How many people were not born here? Me too. Okay. All right. What does it mean to be an American? Right, very much in American society, in the American mythology, we focus on the success of the hero, meaning this one person who leads the way, changes society. That's very much in the American uh, outlook. Anything else? Any other big uh, parts of the American mythology? Live and let live. Live and let live. What does that mean? You do your thing as long as it yeah, I think this is very true, that... Much of the approach to law in our society is not what does scripture say, but if you're doing something that ultimately does not hurt anyone else, then it's probably legal or it will at some point be legal. A lot of it may be coming from religion because what we're saying in religion, there are some things where you can't identify an immediate victim, yet religion will say, no, you can't do this. Right? Absolutely. Anything else that is part of being American? Raise your hand. No. Uh, what about competition? Is being competitive part of being American? Yeah, you find this in every aspect, whether it's in court, this attorney versus that attorney, or in sports, or in school, or even America versus other countries, the idea that we win, we always win, or we always try to win, especially in war. Uh, what else? Yes? 
Capitalism is very much part of being an American. How would you define capitalism, if you can, in a very, very, you know, in a sentence or in a paragraph? Okay, so often we define it as the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. How do people who are hardcore capitalists define it? They're basically saying that human nature is innately good. Right. This is interesting. That in, in actual textbook capitalism, human nature is good. And the less rules you have, the more human nature can fulfill itself. And then this will create competition among each other, which will then lead to better products, which will lead to better society. Right? And so value is found in this process of, of competition and such. But then other critics will say, well, that means that the rich who are rich will just get richer. Right? Uh, how many of you would say America is a fair society? Raise your hand if you'd say America is a fair society. Okay, All the people who are my age and older have raised their hand. Nobody younger raised their hand. This is very interesting. Those of you who say America is unfair, why? Yes. I mean, just what you see with um, police brutality and okay. racism is very much prevalent in our society, so it's, I think it's unfair. Okay, so it seems that it's unfair because we have all these YouTube videos of cops doing all these horrible things, and then we look at how much racism there is in our society. Okay, what else? And there's no right or wrong answers here. Yes? Okay, so the rich seem to have more rights than the poor, that if you have somebody rich going to court against someone poor, probably the person who's rich can afford a better attorney and will probably win whatever it is that needs to be won. Yeah. Uh, what else? There's an unfair tax burden on the Okay, so, so if I'm part of the 1%, then I can probably have tax shelters where I don't have to pay any taxes. If I'm middle class, then I'm paying a third of my, my, my dollars into tax. If I'm poor, I'm probably not even make, making enough money to even get by. Somebody here was also raising a hand. Yes? Okay, explain the wage gap. I mean, is that, is that wrong? <laughs> okay. so, so generally, for every dollar that, that a male makes, how much does, does a female make? It's like 70-something cents, 73 cents. If you're a white woman. Okay, what if you're an Arab woman? Okay, you said they look white, so okay. All right, okay, we will. That's a separate conversation. Yes? Okay, explain this point about man-made laws. Okay. Okay. So, so part of the formation of America, especially with the Constitution, is that this is entirely man-made. This is entirely written by men, entirely written by white men, entirely written by white Protestant men, or, or what we call deist men. And that's how the society is operating, as opposed to starting from Wahi, as opposed to starting from Revelation. Anything else that is part of what it means to be American? Uh, a very quick exercise. I want you to picture an American. Okay, what does that person look like? Does anyone picture someone who's not white? No, no, no. What was the first image that came to mind? Okay, what was this? What was what clothes was this person wearing? Now, to tell me exactly what you see in your imagination. Probably like maybe sweatpants and Under Armour sweater, like maybe some designer sunglasses. Sweat. 
<laughs> sweatpants and Under Armour sweater? Yeah, just like... I didn't even know that was a thing. And gla sunglasses. Yeah, whether they're on his face or on his head. Okay, so he has sunglasses on his face and his head. And what else is he wearing? Yeah, okay. big smile on his face. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what comes to mind to me. Just like, typically, I mean, people always say, oh, I wish I was... If they, weren't, if they don't live in America, they're like, I mean, they strive to live here. Okay. You know, and we're, here we are talking about how unfair our society is. Okay, okay. That, that's the point we'll get to, inshallah. But uh, I find your, your image of an American. Kind of, does this person drive a car? Oh, yeah, of course. What type of car does this. Okay. What type of car does this person drive? Like a spaceship or a Batmobile? No, or? Like, uh, if he's driving a car, it's definitely like a reliable one. Um, no, no, no. Give me a specific car. Because, like, if he's Daisy, what type of car is he driving? Yeah. A Toyota Camry. Okay, but, okay, but, but what, what is your American person driving? Okay, so this is a Daisy guy with two pairs of sunglasses, sweatpants, and an Under Armour sweat sweater. I didn't and say Daisy, but you can tell me. Okay, okay, fair enough. Okay, um, so those of you who pictured an American, and everyone else pictured somebody white, uh, did you picture a male or a female? How many of you pictured a female? Raise your hand. Three people, four people. How many of you pictured somebody with black hair? Did you picture yourself? <laughs> oh, okay. How many of you pictured somebody with blonde hair? Interesting. How many of you pictured someone with blue eyes? I mean, that just sounds like a Syrian, right? That's what I figured. Okay. But most of you pictured somebody with blue eyes. This is fascinating because this is the answer I get everywhere I go, right? That even if we talk to 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, and you ask them to picture an American, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old doesn't know a life until now of a president other than President Obama okay, until the past six, seven months. And yet, even those children, when they think of an American, they will think of someone blonde hair, blue eyes, okay, somebody white, usually a male. Okay. I think that's fascinating. Why? Why is it that even a child <coughs> will think the same thing? Okay, so media, but what about media? Okay, so very often the good guys will be, will be white people. Sure. Um, I'm going to do something that you've probably never been allowed to in the history of Moss Foundation. I want you to take out your phones and go to Google, those of you who have phones and, and data. Okay. And I want you to do a Google search. Just enter the word baby. Okay. And... and Go to whatever, or it can be Google, it can be Yahoo, I don't know if anyone still uses Yahoo, but uh, enter the word baby and tell me what the images are. They're all white. They're all white. So, so how many of you in your Google searches, uh, the vast majority of your babies, all you entered was the word baby, for how many of you the vast majority of pictures that came up were white? Isn't that strange? Okay. That's... Uh, that's the internet. So we'd like to think that the internet is very democratic, which then means, and put your phones away and pay attention to me now, okay, <laughs> that, that the internet being democratic is the result of searches, yet when we type something like baby, almost everyone that comes up is white. Okay. Or maybe, maybe they're Syrian, but uh, they all come up, they're, they're basically white babies. Why? Is it something as simple as the media? What is it? So part of what it means to be American in terms of 
when we go back to the origins of America and what we're seeing resurface is part of the idea when we speak of racism is that the default is white. That often when we think of someone white, we think of that as the person who has no culture, that is the default. All the rest of us, whether we're Arab, whether we're Desi, whether we're Somali, whether we're Irish, whether we're Italian, we have some additional aspects that add flavor to us. We might call it an ethnicity, but the default is white. Okay. That's white supremacy. White supremacy doesn't mean necessarily that white people get more. The actual white supremacy is that you see whiteness as the default, which then means you also see whiteness by default as being clean. Okay. That there's something special about being white. And thus, it's not a surprise that when we go across the globe, things like fair and lovely, fair and handsome, stuff that people put on their faces to have white skin, that's such a big, big industry. Okay. What else is part of the mythology of being American? Meaning these are things that you digest without even realizing it because it's in the air. There isn't a manual that says this. That when you look at the core of the Constitution, there's a few things that are very much at the core. If you were to sum up the Constitution, just a few different points. One is separation of powers, right? You have the judicial, the executive, the legislative. But what is it saying? No one should be allowed to have too much power. And then when you add the Bill of Rights, when we talk about free speech and the First Amendment, anybody remember what the Second Amendment is? Right to bear arms, okay? What are they saying? That you are protected by the Constitution against the majority. Okay? So that you, the right to free speech is actually the right to disagree publicly. That nobody can come after you if you have an opinion that goes against everyone else. This is the theory. I mean, whether or not it's practice, that's a different issue which means that you have the right to be different. You have the right to protest, which means that this is the ideal of American society. And where do you actually see this in media? You see this in children's programming. You see this in family programming. And a point that I might have made last time I was here some years ago is think of all the TV shows you can think of, the family TV shows you can think of, and in how many cases are in the shows, do the children get along with the parents? Okay. How many examples can you think of where the fathers are positive figures? Can you tell me a TV show where the father is a positive figure? Okay, so Full House sort of has that. Where's the mother in Full House? She died. She died. And so part of the reason she's a positive, he's a positive figure is that we automatically become sympathetic because he's missing the mother. Any other show? Family Matters. Is that show still on? <laughs> okay. So Family Matters is a ripoff of what? The Cosby Show, right? And so there you have the, the, the father is a very sympathetic character. Somebody, yes? Arthur. Arthur. Can, you, can you sing for us the Arthur theme song? Yeah, you can. Yeah, I won't make you, but you can admit it. Okay, it's a wonderful time of... Aha, okay, so... Uh, Arthur, I uh, don't even remember, they're, they're big mouse people or something in that show, okay. What else? Can you name any other TV shows? Or can you name other movies? Sorry? Home Improvement. Home Improvement? And it's so interesting, you're all mentioning old shows. What about a show that's on even right now? Yes. Modern Family. Okay, would you call that Modern Islamic Family? <laughs> For those who don't know the show, we won't mention why. But okay. Yes. Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> You understand TV show very different in, in Bridgeview. I'm sorry? 
He made a whole lot of money for his family as a pharmacist. So, okay. How about movies? Can you name a positive father figure in any movies? Preferably recent. Pursuit of happiness is, yeah, that's a, definitely a positive father figure. But just like with Full House, where the mother is dead, the mother is very negative here. Right? Finding Nemo, yes, that is a perfect example. Um, can you name any other Disney movies where the father is positive? Lion King, but he's dead. Okay. Yes? This is Us. Yeah, I hear this is a good show. And there's a positive father figure there? And he's smart? Okay, nice, Michelle. And the mother is a positive figure? She's smart too? Very nice. Okay. Anything else? See how hard it is to come up with an answer? This is also built into the American mythology. Okay. This is built into the sense of protest, that if you're growing up in this society without even realizing it, you are internalizing a sense that there's something wrong with your parents. Okay. So this doesn't even necessarily come from peer pressure. This doesn't come from parents being bad parents, necessarily. A lot of this is just in the air because it's in the media. You're being conditioned to think that you're smarter than your parents. You're being conditioned to think that your parents are like jail wardens. This is in every single Disney princess movie. Right? All of them. What's the most recent Disney princess movie? Moana. Yeah, Moana. I haven't seen it. Is it the same case there? Okay. So, so think about this. These are things that are not written in a book, yet we all internalize. So a white default... No one should have too much power, and this desire to protest starting from protesting inside of your house. And what else is definitely part of the American idea is what we spoke about a few moments ago, the hero. Okay? This individualistic hero. Okay? And this is sort of a difference between Christianity and, and, and Judaism. In Christianity, you're elevating one person beyond human, right? You know, alayhi salam. In Judaism, you're elevating one population above all the populations. And so very much part of the Christian outlook, but very much part of the American outlook, is focus on the heroes. Because even think about who are the people we revere in, in big media, like someone like Elon Musk. Someone tell me, who is Elon Musk? So he's the guy who founds Tesla, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, right? Oprah Winfrey. We celebrate heroes. And what is it? That they somehow were able to be free and live the way they want, Okay. even though all the rest of us, we have to go through the daily cycle of working for everyone. Okay. This is very much part of what it means to be American. What else is part of what it means to be American is to be part of the new world. Europe, Africa, Asia, that's all the old world. America is part of the new world. We are the modern. So in history of philosophy, and there's two th types of societies. One we call modern society, the other we call traditional society. Modern society means the future is better than today. Okay? Traditional society says the past is better than today. Okay? Modern society says the future is better than today, and then what's even after that is even better. Which means what? They revere young people. Okay? Tradition, traditional society says the past is better than today, which means that the further you get away from the past, the worse you're going to be. Which means you revere the elders. Because those are the people who are carrying the past. In the modern outlook, you don't like the elders very much. You see them as slow. You see them as being obstacles. In the traditional outlook, you look, as chi you look at children as people who need to be taught. Okay. Which one would you say is more Islamic? 
sounds traditional, right? Because we say the best of generations was the generation of the Prophet and then the next generation, and the next generation, and it goes downhill from there, right? But we're also taught that every century someone comes along and then revives things, and then every century it happens again, and then some scholars say now it won't be one person, but it'll be a group of people that will revive the deen. But by and large, it's a downward slope. The further you get away from the generation of the Prophet and the Sahaba, may Allah be pleased with them, it's more and more downhill. So now let's shift. If we were to speak of the mythology of Islam, we talked about what does it mean to be American, what does it mean to be Muslim? How would you answer that question? Some people say, you know, Ashadu Allah, Allah. Okay, like what does it mean to be to Allah? Okay, so you submit. What else? Okay, so you might be living by a certain set of guidelines. Okay, yes. Okay, well, saying the same thing, to be free. Okay, what else? Does it mean to be Muslim? Yes. Okay. Okay, so this is interesting. So some of these points sound very much like what we've been talking about in terms of what it means to be American, with slight differences. So here, to live life to its fullest, to have fulfillment, but not just in dunya, but in akhirah as well, not just in this world, but the next world. What else? What else does it mean? Yes. To contribute to society positively. Okay, to contribute to society positively. All right, and that, Ian, you mean by that financially, in terms of your efforts, in all kinds of different ways. What else? I'm sorry? Critical thinker. Critical thinker. That's interesting, meaning... You criticize everything. No. Okay, so you're, you're evaluating everything. Okay, yes? To be honest, to be helpful. Okay, so to be, to be honest, to be helpful. Sure. So we're saying you have integrity, upright character. Yeah. The prophet says, I did not come except to perfect character. Peace be upon him. What else? Yes? Equality. Equality. So men and women are equal in Islam in every aspect. Equity. Oh, suddenly everyone's quiet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Equity is a better term? All right. So you're saying like fairness-ish? All right. What else? Yes. Peaceful. Okay. Anything else? Yes. Community. Community. So a repeated point about community. This is also interesting. Anything else? Of what does it mean to be Muslim? Yes. To be the opposite of a materialist. To be the opposite of a materialist, meaning you are not made of material. No, not focused on um, having a comfortable life. Okay. Okay, so essentially what you're saying is you're not controlled by materialism, right? It's in your hand, not in your heart. All right. Anything else? So are the big points of what does it mean to be Muslim? Yes. Sorry? Devoted. Devoted. Okay. To Allah, I'm assuming. Yeah. Anything else? Yes. It means having foundation and always making sure you have Okay. Okay. So whether you are alone, or whether you're in a group of people, you always have this consciousness of Allah in what you're doing. A consciousness that Allah is watching you, you're watching Him, right? Or, or you see Him, or if not, but He certainly sees you, or perfection in everything you do. Okay. Yes. Unconditional in your ethics and morals. Okay. So you're unconditional in your ethics and morals. No one can break you, in terms of your character. Okay. Obedient. You're obedient to Allah. Uh, okay, so I think these are all the, the usual answers that we give. Um, this, answer, this question I'm not going to answer, at least not yet. Now I want to pause this first part of the conversation.
Okay, because those, everything we shared are ideals. Now I want to talk about what's been taking place in the school year over the past year. My primary work is at Loyola, but this is also in conversations with other chaplains at other schools. Specifically, last year. But to get into last year, let me talk about 2014, no, 2015-16, before talking about 16-17. Uh, the most common issue that students would come to me with asking for help, not last school year, but the school year before that, was anxiety. Okay. Over and over again, the vast majority of students were complaining about anxiety, okay. about what is happening in the world, what is happening to them, what is going to happen to me. And the moment that the anxiety seemed to begin was about two and a half years ago when those three Syrian kids were murdered in North Carolina. Okay. Literally, I can pinpoint from that moment, students who were visiting me, the number of people who were complaining about anxiety skyrocketed. So through the end of that year, through that summer, and through that last school year, not this previous school year, but the one before that, anxiety, 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 anxiety. Okay. And then this past school year, students began completely exhausted. Usually when you begin the school year, you're full of energy, you have a, a new school year, you're seeing your friends again, you have new classes, but by and large, students were completely exhausted. And if you think about what happened in the summer of 2016, it's not surprising. There's the shootings in Orlando, there's bombings in so many places, including Medina of all places, right? And then there's the beginning or the heightened, the heightened election, you know, all the rhetoric that was taking place, especially rhetoric against us. And so students began the school year completely exhausted. Okay. And then as we got close to the election, that exhaustion was translating again into anxiety and fear to the point that the night of the election students were calling me, Facebooking me, textbooking me all evening saying he's gonna win. Okay. And I kept saying, okay, there's no chance. He cannot win. It is not possible. Okay. Eight o'clock goes by, more calls. Nine o'clock goes by, we all remember this. By 10 o'clock I'm thinking, wow, subhanAllah, <coughs> it's gonna happen. Okay. And then from that point, nonstop for the next seven days or so, all day long, all night long, I'm getting calls and texts from students who are terrified. What is going to happen to us now? Okay. Then we go through winter break. Then the inauguration comes in January. And students are coming to my office literally crying because they don't know what's going to happen to us okay. as soon as this man takes power. Okay. And then we had the Muslim ban. Then we had another Muslim ban. And something else interesting developed. In February, March, the most common issue that students came to me with, or let me frame this, in a given day, including appointments and people who walk in, I might have as many as 10 people who visit me. Okay? So multiply that by five, five people a week, multiply that by four, so, I mean, sorry, multiply that by five, so 50 people a week, multiply that by four, so about 200 people visit me in a month. And so when I'm saying the biggest issue, I'm saying probably 50% or more. So the biggest issue from February and March was problems of faith. How do I know if I should believe this? How do I know this is true? Meaning there's people throughout the year who are complaining about anxiety, people throughout the year who have problems of faith, but for some reason, it skyrocketed. Okay. That's February, March, and then April, March, April, and then into May, it became suicide ideation. Okay. Students who are coming to me saying, okay, I give up. I want to end it all. Okay. 
This is what was taking place at the end of the school year. The vast majority of students were complaining about this. Okay. And then talking with other chaplains as well as non-Muslim chaplains, this was not something limited to us. The faith issue was definitely a Muslim issue. But the suicide ideation issue seemed to be all across religious traditions all across the country. That there was this huge spike. Some people connected to that Netflix TV show. You know which one I'm talking about, right? 13 Reasons Why. How many of you have seen that? Interesting. This is always the stat. The vast majority of sisters see it than, than brothers. Okay. And those of, you who, uh, those of you who've seen it, tell us what the show is about. Yeah, so, so the show is a sh about uh, a high schooler, a high school, a high school woman who has committed suicide, and then sort of like a suicide note, she leaves 13 audio recordings explaining why she took her life, and each one is essentially blaming a different person. It's your fault because you did this to me, this horrible thing to me, or you abandoned me when I was in need. And a point to think about, I'm skeptical that this show made people suicidal, but I think the show brought people who were near the edge closer to the edge. Now that has decreased since the school year ended, and I think things are sort of back to normal because now the most common issues I get are the standard issues of all college students, Muslim college students in Chicago, which are, how do I get into med school, how do I get married, and can I eat this meat? Okay. So maybe things are becoming kind of normal again. Okay. But think about this, <laughs> that over the course of the past school year, I really feel as though I was watching the disintegration of our community okay. right before my eyes. What takes place in addition to this is when I get pulled into family issues, whether they relate to the university or outside the university, and it really feels like on the one hand, in the media, we're getting a lot more positive attention in response to the Trump effect, but yet in the homes, I feel like we're watching more and more disintegration. Okay. And I could be wrong. This is purely anecdotal. But it's something to think about. Okay. So now, let's think of what should Islam really give me? All the answers you gave for what does it mean to be a Muslim are correct, and I think we would all agree with all of them. Okay. So what should religion in general give me, and what should Islam in particular give me? Number one, the most obvious one is preparation for when we face Allah Ta'ala, okay? But now think about what else we're saying. If my primary priority is to focus on my meeting with Allah Ta'ala, then I'm saying in practice, I don't care what anybody else has to say, except when Allah Ta'ala tells me to care. I don't care what anyone else has to say, except when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam cared or taught us to care or showed us in its example to care. Okay. There's this interesting ayah, this is near the beginning of Al-Baqarah, where it speaks about the kafirs and the munafiks, the, the, the rejectors and the hypocrites, that it says that you're walking through a rainstorm and there's thunder and lightning, and then what do they do? They put their fingers in their ear to get rid of the thunder out of fear of death. Okay. And think about what is it that makes it hard for you to be Muslim, whether we're talking about August 2017, or we're talking about the school year, outside of the school year. A lot of times, what makes it difficult to be Muslim is what is someone else going to say? What is someone else going to do? Okay. And that's understandable, especially 
You're, mashallah, young right now when you enter the workforce and it's time to make your prayers. Okay. And for those of us who are old geezers, we've all gone through this, that, all right, I have to, I have to make my prayers, so let me find an empty conference, conference room. Hopefully nobody's going to walk in. I have to do wudu. Hopefully no one's going to find my foot in the sink when they, when they, when they walk in, whatever, whatever the case may be, right? And so there's always this concern of what are people going to say, what are people going to do? And that is the fear of thunder. That leads the hypocrites to put their fingers in their ears. Okay. But it's thunder. Thunder can't hurt you. Now take it a step further. That <clears throat> what else makes it hard for me is it's not giving me what I need. So what am I saying? What should deen give you? One is preparation for the akhirah. Okay. But another is that it should guide you on how to make it through life. Okay. And so if people are having doubts about the deen, this is not even the question of is this authentic? It means that it's not giving them what they need to get through life. Okay. So think about it this way. It's a guarantee from Allah Ta'ala that you are going to be hit with struggle. Isn't it a guarantee? Okay. You don't even think you can enter paradise without being hit, without your faith being tested. It's a guarantee you're going to be hit with struggle. And if I asked each and every one of you in this room, tell me some things that are causes of struggle in your life, every one of you could give me five things, ten things, maybe twenty things. Okay. That's the interesting thing we kind of forget, that everybody in this room is struggling through something. Maybe it's related to school. Maybe it's related to family. Maybe it's related to your own self. Everyone is struggling through something. But it's a guarantee from Allah Ta'ala you're going to be hit. But part of that guarantee is that you're never going to be hit with anything you can't handle. Allah Ta'ala will not give you a burden you cannot bear. And so either you can live in fear meaning anxiety. Okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Or you can take the approach that, okay, something is going to happen at some point, and I'll deal with it then. I don't need to worry about it now. You know, my, my students, they always hear from me talk about how much I love being a Desi uncle. You know, you say the most inappropriate things, no one can say anything because you're a Desi uncle, right? But then on top of that, I've been through enough life where I can say life goes on, right? I've been through enough struggles, some of which I caused myself, some of which were caused by other people, some of which, you know, you can't even trace a cause to someone else, and yet I'm still in one piece. Life goes on. And most of you are in your teen teen years or in your 20s. If you look at how many things you've already gone through, some of which might have been super painful, you're still in one piece. You've seen the promise of Allah right before your eyes, that you will definitely be hit with struggle, but you're never going to be hit with something you can't handle. Okay? Keep that point in mind. So put this together with the first point. The first point is my focus is being ready to face Allah Ta'ala, to maybe even look forward to facing Allah Ta'ala. Okay? Which means what? Everything that happens to me in my life, Allah Ta'ala is the one who's putting it in front of me. And the question becomes, how do I respond? And again, the loyal students, I'm sorry you've heard this lesson 500,000 times, but through the course of your life, you're going to be hit with four tests. <coughs> Every single moment of your life is going to be one or more of these four tests. Every moment, including right now. One test is the test of struggle. Okay. 
And how do you pass the test of struggle? We always say life is a test, life is a test, life is a test. You're going through a test, but no one says how to pass. So how do you pass the test of struggle? You persevere through it. By keeping a good impression of Allah. Okay. Now that part is as important as the sabr. That part is as important as the perseverance. Because if you keep a good impression of Allah, then what will, what will happen to you? Sorry? You'll be thankful, right? And you'll be confident that you're going to be okay. You'll be motivated to, perse- to persevere through. That I'm going through this intense period of darkness. And you're going to go through many of these periods of darkness in your life. Guaranteed, I've been through many periods of darkness in my life. And like I said, some of them were my own fault. Some of them were not. But when you keep a positive image of Allah, a positive understanding of Allah, then you're basically saying, okay, Allah Ta'ala is going to get me through. I'm going to be okay. And what, you might, what might happen is you might forget that you're in a struggle. But you control what you think of Allah. That we have a hadith Qudsi, and the first part of it is that Allah Ta'ala is saying, the Prophet is saying, peace be upon him, that Allah Ta'ala is saying that I am what my servant thinks of me. So if you want to think of Allah as a punisher, that's what Allah is going to be to you, as far as you can tell. If you want to think of Allah as the source of Rahmah, who is pouring Rahmah on you, like a waterfall, and that is what Allah will be to you. Which means what? That's how you're going to see what's happening in your life. So, when you're hit with struggle, the first test, how do you pass? You persevere through by keeping a positive impression of Allah. The second test is a test of ease. So, some of you might be going through intense struggles right now, but the fact that you're sitting here in air conditioning, in a beautiful masjid, mashallah, right, in peace and quiet, that's also ease. And how do you pass the test of ease? With gratitude. By being grateful for what Allah Ta'ala has given you. So any of my students here, they know I give them the, the gratitude assignment, where you actually have to go through and think of all the things, or so many things that you're given. Okay. Because if you count how many difficulties you, you're given at this moment, and how many eases you're given at this moment, it's no question. The eases are far greater than the, than the difficulties. It doesn't mean that the difficulties are small. Okay. They still hurt. So the first test is difficulty. Second test is ease. Third test is when you have to make tough decisions in life. You'll see this especially as you get older. Sometimes you have four options and they're all bad. Especially in community work. So many things I've done in community work where every single option is a bad option. If you take this option, this will be the problem. If you take this option, this will be the problem. But how do you pass this test? You seek help from Allah, istikhara, and you make the best uh, choice that you can. With trust in Allah, that inshallah things will be okay. And if you took the wrong choice, if you're able, you change your decision. Okay. And the fourth one, which is actually the first one, is the test of obedience. What's interesting is that when Allah Ta'ala speaks about Ibrahim alayhi salam, what does he say? That we gave ibtila wa ibtila Ibrahima. What is ibtila? It is intense test. But when you look at what Allah Ta'ala gave Bani Israel, he just says, Bala. Bala umir rabihum. And what are we saying here? That the test of Bani Israel, when they were in slavery to the Pharaoh, as hard as that is, is easier than what Ibrahim had. When he had to, when he had to obey Allah Ta'ala. 
his test was more difficult. Okay. And sometimes that's a difficulty of being a Muslim in America, that I have certain prescribed behaviors, like my daily prayers. Okay. That's usually the biggest test. Okay. But of course, fasting in the time, or maybe even uh, fulfilling my zakat as I get older, as I have more and more uh, uh, savings and such. Okay. But how do you pass that test? You obey. That one's straightforward. Every single moment of your life is going to be one or more of these four tests. And like I said, at some points, you might have two tests at the same time. And we've listed how you pass each of those tests. But what else is built into this? What am I saying? That as I go through life, everything that is happening to me, Allah Ta'ala has put that before me. Okay. So think of it in a different way. Let's say you're walking down the street or walking through Harlem Avenue or downtown Chicago, and someone comes to you, smells like alcohol. Okay, their clothes is all dirty. Okay, quick question: uh, What race or ethnicity was this person that you just imagined? Interesting. Okay, so now this person's clothes are all dirty, smells of alcohol, and asks you for money. If you look according to this person's intentions, what do you think? What are you going to think when they're asking you for money? That okay, they want money to get more alcohol. Okay, but change it. That Allah Taala has put this person in front of you at this moment then how do you look at it? How does it change? Somebody raise their hand, explain how does it change? How do you behave? What would I do differently? I might be more generous then. Because now, it's not me trying to figure out this person's intention. Now I'm understanding that Allah Ta'ala has put this person before me. And what am I saying? Every moment of your life is a moment where Allah Ta'ala is putting one of those four things in front of you. A struggle, a moment of ease, sometimes you have to make a difficult choice, or just a matter of obedience. Okay. Every moment is a moment of interaction between you and Allah Ta'ala. Like someone mentioned earlier, Ihsan, this is literally what Ihsan is. Okay. So when you leave from this room, and everything that you spot Allah Ta'ala has put this before you. Okay? And then you decide, what does Allah Ta'ala prescribe for me as a response? I see this thing that I shouldn't look at. Allah Ta'ala has put this thing before me. Okay, I look away. Okay? Or I have this chance to do this inappropriate behavior. Oh, Allah Ta'ala has put this before me. How do I respond? Okay, I don't do it. Okay? And that's what you want to develop. And so thus, what are we saying? At one aspect, what is Dean providing me with? It's how to be ready for the other side, the real life. And then another aspect is how to get through this life. And in both cases, what are we saying? My highest priority is Allah Ta'ala. Okay. So the last part is how do we develop this? Because if we're saying my primary concern is making Allah Ta'ala happy, then I'm saying I'm not as concerned about making other people happy. Okay. If my primary concern is my fear of Allah, then I'm not going to be as fearful of other people. Okay, but this is something that you have to develop. It's not something that happens easily. It's something that is easy to think about but harder to develop. So for this, I'm going to give a couple practical suggestions. Some of these things maybe all of you do or some of you do. Okay, number one, in terms of increasing your knowledge. Uh, one of the challenges of knowledge in your generation, which is different than my generation, is that you have so much knowledge that's available, even on YouTube. So much knowledge that's available. Okay? When I was growing up here, not too far away from here, uh, there was almost no knowledge available. I mean, 
I was in an era, not just before the internet, I was in an era before email. Try to imagine what that era was like. Right? We actually used to talk to people in front of each other. Right? I don't know if you're familiar with this. Right? Yeah. We had these things, these boxes that we call televisions. Right? So, anyway, so the point I'm making is that... <clears throat> I've completely lost my train of thought trying to tell jokes. Okay. <laughs> the point I'm making is that when it comes to knowledge, in my era we had very few teachers and very much access to knowledge. And so you took those little drops that you had, like a thirsty person who's been given these few drops. You've been given an open faucet of knowledge, which makes it easy to not value it, but it also makes it hard to navigate through it. And so what winds up happening is that the knowledge that you and I are gaining becomes informative rather than transformative. And what do I mean by this? If I went through this whole room and I asked each person narrate every hadith that you know, or even a portion of hadith that you know, everyone one by one, and we added it all together. I'm not exaggerating, I'm saying we could probably in this room narrate full or parts of as much as 5,000 hadith. But the real question is how many are you and I practicing? Okay. If I'm not practicing it, then I'm still living life my own way, carrying this knowledge with me. And this is the analogy in one part of the Quran of the donkey carrying books versus in the other part of the Quran, the horse racing, adiyat, the horse just racing almost like a racehorse. Is what is the analogy of the donkey carrying books? Like when you see a donkey, some of you might have seen a donkey on TV, some of you probably think your siblings are donkeys, but when you see a donkey, what does a donkey do? It just goes every direction it wants to. Okay. Uh, but the racehorse, okay, the thoroughbred, whatever the jockey is making it do, it'll run faster and faster and faster and faster, even if it means its own heart is going to explode. Okay. Meaning complete obedience to the master. But if I'm just acquiring knowledge and I'm not changing anything about myself, which means I'm living my life my own way, then I'm just a donkey carrying books. Okay? And we know there's another population that's spoken directly that way. Okay? And so what am I saying here? Now, in terms of acquiring knowledge, I'm going to give you a few suggestions. Number one, read through a translation of the Quran every year, if you don't understand the Arabic. Okay? With a pencil and then take notes okay? and raise questions. Because one of the things that helped me when I was growing up, for whatever reason, someone put an idea in my mind that the author of the Quran is smarter than I am. Okay? Obviously, the author of the Quran is smarter than I am. But a lot of times, people who struggle with faith, they don't believe that. They think, without saying it, that they're smarter than the author of the Quran. Mm -hmm. okay? And so when you see that the author of the Quran is smarter than you, it means you can raise any question. You're not going to break it. It can handle any question that you're going to give. So write down all of your questions. Okay? And then find someone who can perhaps answer them if you're not able to answer them. And it's easy to find me. I'm not saying I can answer your questions. All you do is you just have to look up Loyola Muslim Chaplain and you can find my contact info. Okay? But the point being, develop a relationship with Allah through a relationship with the Quran. Okay? An active relationship where you're taking notes and writing. Okay. Second thing regarding relation, developing a relationship with the Prophet, peace be upon him. Every year you should go through at least one book of Sirah and one book of Shama'il. We always talk about Sirah, we don't talk about Shama'il. Okay. Sirah being the biography of the Prophet, peace be upon him, most of us can probably already name the, you know, the 20 key events of his life. Okay. But you do it as a reminder. Shama'il is the attributes of him. What was his face like? What was his walk like? 
What were his clothes like? How did he sit? But that's not all you do. As you go through a book of Shema, as you go through attributes of the Prophet, peace be upon him, try to remember them, and when you see that attribute on someone else, remember the Prophet, peace be upon him. The example I always give is that the Prophet had a space between his teeth. And every time I see someone who has space between their teeth, I remember the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then what do you do? You send blessings upon him. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Okay. And if you're really ambitious, make a dua for that person too. Even if they're not Muslim. Okay. For them to come to Islam. Okay. But what are you then doing? If you do that exercise, by bringing yourself closer to the Prophet, peace be upon him, you are going to start to actually see him as rahmah for you. Because that's a pleasurable moment. Okay. That... When you see an attribute of the Prophet, peace be upon him, someone who has hair like him, okay, someone who has feet like him, someone who eats what he does, you're going to experience the fact that he's Rahmah okay, on you. So one translation per year, one Sira per year, one Shema'il per year. Okay. And then try to find a teacher. Okay. We're in an era of celebrity preachers. Okay, I could rattle off a list of names, and, and these are people that many of you will say, oh yeah, I'll go across the world to hear them speak. The further someone is away from you physically, the less useful they are for you. Okay, all of these celebrity preachers, they have a lot of good to give. But the further they are away from your physical space, the less relevant they're going to be for your life. The more general their advice is going to be, which means the less practical it's going to be. So try your best to find a teacher as close to you physically as possible. Maybe someone in Bridgeview, maybe someone in the Southwest Side, Southwest Suburbs, someone in Chicagoland. Someone who, because they are living in your world, they understand your situation. Okay? And that teacher is not just a teacher who's teaching you fiqh, okay? who's not just teaching Islamic law, this is a teacher who's nurturing you in your growth, meaning the better term is find a mentor. Okay? And then as you get older, you must be a mentor for other people. So it's three suggestions and then one additional one. Quran with a pencil, the Sira every year, Shama'il, and make it active, and then find a teacher. Okay. Now, when you put all of these things together, what is the basic point? The basic point is to fulfill those first two purposes of deen. One is to make me ready for the Akhirah. Okay. We already know that. The other is to help me navigate through life. Okay. I'm saying if you make this as your priority, you will automatically find yourself being unapologetic about your deen. Okay. If you do this, you will find yourself automatically having something that most people don't have. Someone mentioned having a foundation. Okay. I mean, I don't just give pastoral care to Muslim students. Hindu students come to me, Jewish students come to me, non-believers come to me. And I'll tell you very, very openly, the two communities that deal with tragedy the best are Muslims and Christians. Everybody is a distant third or fourth or lower. And the people at the bottom who are at the worst time with tragedy are atheists. Okay. And think about it. If I'm an atheist, then what am I saying? I'm saying there's no God, there's no akhirah. It doesn't matter what happens. My end result is I'm going to be fertilizer. Okay. I started as cause and effect. I will end as cause and effect, which means at some point I'm going to be dirt in the ground, which means that when my loved one is gone, they're gone. But what are we saying in Christianity and Islam? When they're gone in dunya, it doesn't mean they're gone. Okay? They're just gone in dunya. Okay? Which means, inshallah, that I'll be reunited. Okay? 
So with that, I hope what I've shared with you has been of some benefit, and I'm more than happy to answer any questions. I think most of what I've said you already know. It's just a reminder said in just different ways. Um, so, وَأَخْرَ دَعْوَانَا أَنِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ May peace be upon you all. Questions? Yes. So, so the question is, can I give suggestions on books of Shema'il aside from Shema'il of Thirmidhi? So Shema'il of Thirmidhi is the standard. And so all the other books are basically taking that. So there's a popular set of books right now called Our Master Muhammad by Husseini. Husseini? Or Zakariah? Yeah, I think it's Husseini. But Our Master Muhammad is two volumes. He's basically taking the Shema'il of Thirmidhi, and then he is, um, he is providing commentary. I mean, there's other commentaries that are available in English. There's a really nice commentary by Mullah Ali Al-Qari, which is nice, and, and another person that I'm forgetting. But uh, what I'd suggest is just do one narration per day and try to digest it and look for it in other people. Okay. Any other questions? Yes? Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So how do we equip our young people? Mm -hmm. I know addressing these issues is important, mm -hmm. but I feel sometimes that it's um, so magnified that we <laughs> have the importance of the important foundation. Mm -hmm. Another very important question. So, well, uh, so to repeat the question, a lot of times you'll have some people who will get focused on one particular issue that might be a controversial issue, and there's this, uh, there's a short list of the issues that are always controversial issues. And then that will, because they can't address that, it weakens their whole faith, right? And this is one of the reasons why I'm saying to read the Quran on a regular basis. Because what will be an automatic result of that is that you're going to get a better and better sense of how to give a priority to something or low priority to something, right? That's part of that. Um, and uh, most of the answers to a lot of these questions are unsatisfactory anyway. But a lot of times when I'm answering these questions for students, they're not ready for an answer, okay? Because if my faith is weak, this is just making it more weak. My faith is probably already weak in the first place. Okay. And, and, and this is a point that, that you know, I've made in other, other settings, that uh, every single Muslim that I've ever met who's wanted to convert to atheism, 100% of them, going back at least 15 years, they may start with academic arguments. How can you have free will and predestination? How can you have a good God and evil in the world? Those academic arguments, that's never been the reason they became atheists. 100% of the time, they became atheists because of some break in their heart. Okay. Maybe it's a tragedy that they don't know how to cope with. A lot of times I have someone who has a sibling who died, and they don't know how to deal with it. Okay. More often, it's resent against their parents. And most often, it's resent against their fathers. Right? Because a lot of times what you think of your father will be what you think of Allah Ta'ala. Right? So if you think of your father as a tyrant, that's what's going to happen. And so that's been my experience, that usually it's a broken heart. Okay? And likewise, for someone who's struggling with faith, it's usually not the controversial issue. Okay? Usually it's something else in a condition of their heart. I'll give you the weirdest example of this. Okay? So I had this friend who, who had a niece who was very, very sick, and she died. She had this disease where her skin was so brittle that if you would touch it, that she'd start bleeding. 
Okay. So her parents' whole life uh, was to put gauze on the baby, and by the time they were done, the gauze was covered in blood. They would have to take it off and put new gauze. Okay? And this baby dies by around the age of 8 or 10. And this was a big challenge to his faith. Okay? And part of it was just he was just upset. You know, how could Allah allow this? Okay? And this is, this is going to be the weirdest way someone found faith. And I'm not endorsing this in any way, but to show you how sometimes it's not the academic issue. Okay? This is also a person who would partake of beverages that a Muslim should not drink. Okay. Booze. And, and so his proof, this is so bizarre, his proof for the existence of Allah was that he would go to work downtown, he would get drunk, okay, Muslim guy, and not endorsing this, saying this is Moss Foundation, not endorsing this, okay, okay. and somehow he would black out and drive all the way home. That was his proof. Yeah, scratch your head for a little while, try to make sense of that. And what I'm saying is different people need some different spark then to come back. Yeah. But the real issue for him was not the academic argument, because as ridiculous as his academic argument was, his proof was ridiculous too. Yeah. Um, but that's what he needed to help uh, satisfy this pain in his heart. Meaning, what did that mean to him? It mean that Allah was taking care of him, okay. even when he was doing haram. Any other questions? All right, yes. What's one piece of advice that I uh, find myself giving my students over and over again? Listen. <laughs> yeah. Students, how would you answer that question? Sorry, what's, what's one piece of advice I keep giving? Okay, so I often give this gratitude assignment, which I can give to each and every one of you if you want to, if you want to note it down. Um, have I given this a, a gratitude assignment to you? No, you gave me a different one. Okay, okay. All right, so note this assignment down. And because I don't know most of you personally, I'll give you the most basic version. Every day, either in a notebook or in a document, whatever way works for you, you have to take a moment and list down two things that you should be grateful for. Any two things. And then you do it the next day, you do it the next day, you can't repeat. But when you write down your two things, then after that, for each one, write Alhamdulillah and Alhamdulillah. And try to say Alhamdulillah from within. Okay? And then after you've done that, then recite the dua that's in Surah, surah Al-Ahqaf, Surah 46, Ayah 15. <coughs> my Lord, guide me to be grateful for what you bestowed upon me and upon my parents. Rabbi, auzi'ni an ashkura ni'matika lati anamta alayya wa ala waladayya. So Surah 46, Ayah 15. Do this for each one of those. And that's your assignment to do every single day from now till forever. Okay. And if you continue doing it, uh, I'm telling you, if you can do it on a regular basis, you will, after about six to nine months, you will begin to really feel its effects within you. And then I can add more. I do this assignment still every day. I do seven per day, because that's how many I have to do. Okay. And then I can add more to it, inshallah. You can drop me a link. So that's, that's the assignment I usually start almost every one night with. Any other questions? Yes? My, my suggestion, so the question is, can I recommend any good Sita books? Um, uh, I'll answer that two ways. Number one, I'd say read a different one every year, which means you will also read those. Um, Martin Ling's is always a good one. 
Right. I mean, every Sierra book I have complaints about, every translation I have complaints about. Uh, Martin Ling's uh, biography of the Prophet, peace on his nice. Tharak Ramadan is an easy one to start with. Right. I have some of the issues with how he plays with facts with some points, but still it's a good one to start with. It's really simple. But uh, Martin Ling's is very popular. I mean, there's Muhammad Man and Prophet, which is a thousand pages or something like that. Uh, I don't know if any human has actually finished reading it except for Adil Salahi, the author. But, um, um, but yeah, uh, those would be the two that I often recommend. Yes, sir. Yeah. Is this because of perception, or does God give the servant that which the servant expects? Okay, so I mentioned this part of this this hadith Qudsi. You can find this in Nawawi's hadith. I want to say it's around hadith number thirty-seven, a portion of it, where where Allah Taala is 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 reported by the Prophet peace who's reported to have said that I am what my servant thinks of me. So the question is, is this perception, or is this what Allah becomes? What's the difference between the two? Okay, focus on that for a while. Okay, any other questions? Yeah, think about it. Is your perception different than what Allah is to you? I mean, you could say that. I mean, because if it's perception, I mean, like, I could perceive that this chair is comfortable, or I could, you know, compare it to my couch, you know. And yeah, you just exactly made the point. So now think about that when you think of Allah. Can you repeat the point again? So basically his question is, is it perception, or is this what Allah really is? And I'm saying there's no difference between the two. Okay. What I think of Allah will mean what I receive from Allah. So if I think of Allah as punisher, then I will only receive everything as punishment. That's perception, right? I'm not going to see all the wonderful things around me that are rahmah. So it is perception, which becomes my reality. Okay. Any other questions? I can do that with him. Yes. That's exactly it, yeah. Alright. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasafirka natubi lake. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasafirka natubi lake. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasafirka natubi lake. Wa akhirita wana anilhamdulillah hirabil alameen. May Allah tell the word you are. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.